I'm Sandra, and I'm just the professional your small business was looking for. But you didn't hire me because you didn't use LinkedIn jobs. LinkedIn has professionals you can't find anywhere else, including those who aren't actively looking for a new job, but might be open to the perfect role, like me. In a given month, over 70% of LinkedIn users don't visit other leading job sites. So if you're not looking on LinkedIn, you'll miss out on great candidates like Sandra. Start hiring professionals like a professional. Post your free job on linkedin.com slash people today. This podcast is for entertainment purposes only and does not replace your own financial, tax, legal, or financial product advice. Hello, Australia. Welcome to my Millennial Investor. I'm live in Canberra. Hey, give us a cheer, Canberra. Love that. And we are talking about market instability and uncertainty. There was a question that came through to the group. How are you adjusting your investment strategy with the current market instability and uncertainty? Well, it's a funny question because if that person is here now and they're asking me, oh, Jack, it was you, was it? (laughs) Were you asking me or conceptually? Conceptually. Yeah, well, conceptually, you really wouldn't be changing your strategy because when we set an investing strategy, if we look at superannuation, which everybody here, if you've got a job, you are an investor because it's in superannuation, it's happening in the background. Now, if we look at the superannuation strategy, everybody here has an automatic strategy of long-term investment, can't touch that until preservation age, and we'll call it age 60 here, or whenever you want to touch it after age 60. So in that scenario, if we know conceptually that markets are volatile, markets go up and down, well, there's no point me needing to tweak my super if it is invested in quality diversified funds, the fees are decent, because if a minimum hold time for a growth asset is seven years, Well, where I'm from, like 30 years is more than seven years. So it actually doesn't matter. And one thing that I've really learned lately, I've actually um, just read this book, The Psychology of Money. Has anyone read this book? This book is so good. And I would encourage anyone listening to this to read this book. It's now on my read it once a year book. Is anyone a reader here? Hannah, you put your hand up first so you can have that. Hannah Bird is a regular. She, I was saying to James Miller today, I'm like, it was you I was saying it. I was like, if only Hannah could just answer all the hard questions because she's a tax accountant and she's really smart. So the whole thing with the psychology of money is the biggest trap that us humans get in is that we think that we control and we can control what happens with financial markets and we can't. Who here predicted the COVID pandemic? No? Anyone here in predict um, 9-11 market event? Nope. Anyone here predict uh, a war in Ukraine? Nope. So the issue is with our investing, the events that happen tomorrow, we can't predict and no one knows. And the other cool thing about when we really look about investing about my strategy is I put money in super every month for the rest of my working life That's a strategy there. But if we bring it back to our own personal goals, I might want to save up so I've got the option to retire when I'm 50 and draw down my own money first outside of super. And then when that's depleted, I'll then look at super. When it comes to our own money outside super, 
it's not actually any different because we can't control. And the problem with the media, the problem with um, the, the news, right, they will report if there's a 2% drop in the market, right? But they never, ever report a 1% increase. They never, ever report the stuff that's happening in the background day on day, day on day. So the best thing that you can do with your investment strategy is to remove you from it. So you're just setting up a monthly thing into it. The best thing you can do for your investment strategy is know that you know nothing, Jon Snow. Like, anyone keen for the prequel? <laughs> Same, really keen. Anyone seen Yellowstone here? That changed my life. Anyone seen 1883, the prequel to Yellowstone? That killed me. It was so good. So we're going to um, ask a couple of little investory questions. Nisha, what's your investory question? Okay, so there's a lot in the news about ANZ taking over Suncorp. BHP divested some of its business to Woodside. For people who invest in direct shares with companies, what do they need to be mindful of um, if their, their shares are absorbed by another company? What happens? What are the, the capital gain or loss implications down the track? Yeah, no idea. <laughs> Actually, see, uh, you're too smart for me. Um, Hannah, Bird, you need to come down. You need to help me answer this stuff. But I will say, like, as Hannah's coming to the stage, when we invest in direct shares, and I would say, like, I've recently just, I think last year, sold my last direct share because I wanted the view in my own life that I just invest in um, index funds because I've just resolved that I'm comfortable with market returns. Now, if you did want to invest in direct shares, to scratch that itch... It's totally cool if you go, I'm just going to do 10% of my portfolio. I can't control the world, but at least it keeps me engaged and all that. So if you own Suncorp shares, what I would be doing, like anything, when the events happen, it's almost like a, a, a checker to review your strategy. But if you're, if you're worried about it and you're a Suncorp customer you're probably not going to notice anything. It's just ANZ wanting a bigger database and to grow their, their book. But Hannah, you're a tax accountant by trade. Anything that we need to know about CGT events that are out of our control with like takeovers and whatnot? Um, so in that particular example, um, they will generally give you advice about the specific circumstances of the transaction so that you would know or have some certainty for when you come to file your tax return next year. So it should be transparent to you. Um, you may not get that information right away, unfortunately, but um, you'll have that so you can make some decisions about what you want to do in terms of selling your shares or holding them. And, and that's the thing, because a lot of this thing, like part of the decision is actually not in our control. And that's why we've got to play the cards we've dealt. But what's the biggest thing, like as an accountant, I know you're not, you know, on the coal face anymore as such, but what's the biggest thing with individual investors when they're doing their tax return that you like, just bloody do this? Like, um, I think I would say if you can put a system in place up front at the beginning of the year, you know, it's just July now, um, to make sure you're keeping track of things. So if that is putting an extra folder in your Gmail so that you're filing away the relevant emails because the last thing you want to do is spend hours finding information at the end of the year um, or sending a whole heap of 
receipts and a shoebox to your accountant. Um, you'll be able to plan where you're up to closer to the end of the year. So if you want to make any decisions before the year end or, it, or figure out is it better to leave it till next year, you can do that. But if you don't have the information, um, you're kind of shitting in the dark. Mm. I don't know if that... Thanks, Hannah. Appreciate it. Give her a hand. Sorry for putting you on the spot. I don't know if that helped, Nisha, but... Yeah, I mean, there's only so much you can control, I think, when you have individual shares. Like, for example, if you, um, if you own shares in Sydney Airport and, you know, the private equity firm came along and said, oh, we're actually buying this and it's ratified, well, you're just along for the ride. Like, there's actually nothing you can do. Like, Sam, you said you had a question? I do have a question. I'm just wondering about ETFs. I've tried to work out what's in each of them. I think I've just doubled up or tripled up or caught up, is there any difference in owning all four or should I just work out and buy one? Are you talking specifically about like Vanguard, for example? Yeah, or LICs, I've got three and I think that ultimately they're all the same. Yeah, look, I'm. this is actually interesting. So when it comes to ETFs, you see a lot of things in the Facebook group and people are like, oh, I own VAS, V-A-S, Vanguard Australian Share Fund. Does anyone hold VAS here? Yeah. Awesome fund. What happens is, and this is not a bad problem, it just is what happens, VAS is only Australian shares and we have this home bias built into us. Like a lot of investors around the world, like if you live in Germany, you'll just buy German stocks. If you live in, you know, under the part of Europe, you'll just buy that. Like there's a big world outside of where you live, right? But it's okay because you don't want to be overwhelmed and not take action but I think it is more of a diversification play. And in your situation, what you might do is it's diversification play and you might be overweight or underweight. So if you own four ETFs, so we'll say Australian shares, international shares, a fixed interest one and a gold one, for example, you've picked four individual ETFs. There's two things that's happening. The diversification, because if one has a run, it's going to be overweight. So your own portfolio, you're going to be owning more of that portfolio. And number two, it's the pain in the ass paperwork factor. So you might decide that I'm comfortable with going to a one-stop shop like a diversified fund like the Vanguard Diversified Growth Fund or High Growth Fund because what actually happens with these portfolios and I actually don't own like my portfolio where the majority of my wealth is, it's managed by a financial advisor and they do quarterly rebalances. So you've got the two things, the, the rebalancing with portfolios, particularly with portfolios in a box, I really like it because there is actually science and research behind it. And a lot of those portfolios in the product disclosure statement, they will say, we target this over this amount of time if you hold that portfolio for the time that they say to hold it, it will bloody do its job. Now, you'll pay a little bit more, but there's always a cost for convenience. But you'll pay a little bit more, but are you getting some smoothing in your portfolio? Because the rebalancing part of um, these things, right, what actually happens is if there's a big run on growth assets and there's a quarterly rebalance, it will automatically just sell a huge portion of that, sure, it's a tax event, but then they lock that money away back into defensive assets. So it's actually a more smooth ride. 
So I think as a growing investor yourself, you just have to hang your hat on something. For me personally, I've hung my hat on Glenn James is a buffoon. He doesn't know anything. I would rather outsource the portfolio management to someone who's got some science behind it. And I just focus on shoveling money into my portfolio. Does anyone here manage their own ETFs like um, Sam? Yeah. And does anyone here do like a portfolio in a box thing? Yeah, so it's a bit of a, a blend. So yeah, any other share type? Yeah, we've got a one from Will. I've just got a question on, um, I've seen it in a few Facebook groups about chess uh, sponsored and non-chess sponsored and if it actually matters. So has anyone heard of the chess sponsorship? Um, anyone not know what that means? Yeah. So basically the ASX have a, a basically a register of who owns what individual shares and it's called the Clearinghouse Electronic Subregister System. So basically the ASX, the Clearinghouse, they say, Will, you have purchased six CBA shares, you own these shares. Now, if you go to, so for an example, your super fund, and you might have the option to buy direct shares through your super fund, your name will, your whole name will not be on the CBA chess system. It will be Will Superfund and they're managing that on your behalf. And that's called a custodian arrangement. Your Superfund is the custodian of your money. I invest in managed funds. They buy direct Australian shares. Glenn James, my name isn't on the ASX system. I think a lot of people online learn about chess and get the heebie-jeebies and think it's the end of the world and you must have a broker that allows chess-sponsored share ownership. And the theory behind that is if the broker falls over, you will still own the shares. So the broker goes bankrupt. All right, broker's gone. All right, who owns these shares? Oh, there you go, Will. There's your shares. Run along. But the custodian system, by default, it's a custodian. So if a broker was buying shares on your behalf through a custodian, the broker doesn't own your money anyway. It's in custody to protect bankruptcy. So I think it gets blown out a lot. And in fact, like in the United States, it's not even a thing at all, chess. Like it doesn't exist. The normal way is custody and through, you know, bigger broker channels. So it is out there a lot. Uh, I don't think it's a showstopper. Most of my investments are not chess sponsored. So, yeah, we've got two minutes left. Any comments? Taz, is it? Yeah, yeah I see you in the Facebook group all the time. How are you? <laughs> I'm good, thanks. How are you? <laughs> thanks for coming back this year. Oh, thanks. Um, I have probably a dumb question. No dumb questions. Okay. So when you talk about the 10% of your portfolio that you could have in scratching the itch or speculative stuff, do we include our house in that amount or is it just our investments? Yeah, I mean, I um, the conservative vibe in me would say if you're dicking around with individual stocks, you may say I'm not doing more than 10% of my net worth. So everything I own, if I'm worth $600,000 and my house is worth $500,000, I've got 
you know, some money left. I'm not doing more than $60,000 in direct equities. You might just take the view because all it is, it's just a, a marker and a system that you need in your own life. You might go, okay, well, I've saved up and I've got a $60,000 share portfolio or I've received a $60,000 inheritance. I'm going to put $6,000 in CBA shares because I love CBA. They came into my primary school and signed me up. <laughs> Friggin' love CBA. And then I'm going to put $54,000 in a diversified fund. Just have some rules in your life because the problem is when we have good results with individual shares, we can think that we've done something good. But we, we don't know anything. And the problem is, for me, I was just like, oh, it's too gambly. Like, because I get that dopamine thing. Like, hey, I made some money out of shares. I'm going to like buy the next one. So that's why I just sold my direct shares and went, ah, stuff it. Like I, like I always see like CBA, it's got up to like $107, $105, then went down to $93. I'm like, oh, I should just bloody throw 20 grand in that and ride it all day long. But I've got direct exposure, indirect exposure anyway to that. So thanks for your questions. Thank you, everyone. We're in Canberra. You're listening to My Millennial Investor. Thanks for hanging out with us. Give yourselves a hand. We acknowledge the Awabakal people, traditional custodians of the land on which our studio sits, and pay respects to their elders past, present, and emerging. We extend that respect to Aboriginal and Torres Strait Islander peoples who may listen to our podcast. This podcast is for education and entertainment purposes. Any advice is general financial advice only, which does not take into account your objectives, financial situation, or needs. Because of that, you should consider if the advice is appropriate to you and your needs before acting on the information. If you do choose to buy a financial product, read the product disclosure statement, target market determination, and obtain appropriate financial advice tailored to your needs. Simo Interactive Proprietary Limited, the publisher of the podcast, and Glenn James are authorized representatives of Money Sherpa Proprietary Limited, which holds financial services license 451289. This is Craig Robinson from Ways to Win. And support for this podcast comes from Invesco QQQ, the official ETF of the NCAA. Invesco QQQ is proud to sponsor this episode and even prouder to provide access to innovation for the last 25 years. Basketball has had innovations over the years, too. We're seeing the game played in new ways every day. Learn more at Invesco.com slash QQQ. Let's rethink possibility. Invesco Distributors, Inc. Mom deserves the best, and there's no better place to shop for Mother's Day than Whole Foods Market. They're your destination for unbeatable savings. From premium gifts to show-stopping flowers and irresistible desserts, start by saving 33% with Prime on all body care and candles. Then get a 15-stem bunch of tulips for just $9.99 each with Prime. Round out Mom's menu with festive rosé, irresistible berry chantilly cake, and more special treats. Come celebrate Mother's Day at Whole Foods Market.